Hey everyone, welcome back to the Birdie Bitch Podcast. My name's Maddie Belden and I'm your host. If you've been listening since April, I apologize uh, for the little break that I took. It was not planned. Um, while I was interviewing Jordan Syatt, I, you know, unbeknownst to me, I actually had COVID. Good thing the interview was over Zoom. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. It's the last one that I posted because I haven't posted since. Um, and it's all about health effects of a high-stress job, how to combat that with uh, nutrition and exercise, all that fun stuff. It was awesome. But I did get COVID and took a break. Couldn't breathe, couldn't talk. I just, like, would cough after every word that I would try to say. So I took a little break, and then work just got super busy. So I'm done making excuses. I will try to post every Monday from here on out. Who knows? Anyways, today... I'm going to be talking about the Club Pro Crisis, which is an article that was written for Golf Digest by Shane Ryan. If you haven't read it, I will try to remember to put the link in the notes. Um, If not, just Google Club Pro Crisis. It's on Golf Digest. I think it's technically on Golf Digest Premium. If you can't access it for some reason, DM me or email me or text me and I'll send it to you because I have it in like Word document form. Um... I don't know why it has to be on Golf Digest Premium when it's like an important article, but it is. So I just wanted to go over that article. Um, this is, a, I'm calling it a response. It's not really a response, I guess, because I feel like that it seems like I disagree with it, which I don't, um, or at least I don't disagree with a lot of it, but I just wanted to go over parts of it that I thought were interesting, my thoughts on different types of things, um, and then this might be a two-part episode, which I get is kind of annoying, but I was sitting in uh, the Legal Seafoods in Logan Airport last Thursday having a nice glass of wine and some chowder, and I thought to myself, why don't I come up with a survey about this article about being a club pro and send it to my friends that work in the industry, and I thought... I thought, oh, I'll probably get, like, I don't know, if I text 20 people, I might get, like, 9 or 10 responses, you know, assuming that half of them actually respond to me. And so I texted it to people, I told them to share it with people, and I also put it in a Facebook group for teaching professionals, and I got 200 responses. So I didn't think I was going to have to make this a two-part thing, but I think I do, because there's just so much, and honestly, I left... uh, I left the last question open-ended, and some of the responses were, like, heartbreaking. So, yeah, if this goes on too long, I'm going to put that into two parts. I want to talk about the results because they're really interesting and just read you some of the responses that I got Um, because, like I said, it was super heartbreaking and very insightful, but also just kind of confirmed everything that I am thinking anyways. Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to get right into it. The initial reason that I thought about doing a response to this was because I was having a conversation with someone, and if you're listening, you probably know who you are, and he said to me, he he's not in the, he's not a golf pro, but he's kind of in the golf industry. He has a product that is um, being pushed out to the golf industry, but he is not a golf pro. He doesn't play golf, isn't a member at a country club, has no relation to any of the above. Um, and he said he read the article, and he said... I didn't realize that it was this bad. Um, and the product that he pushes out, you can probably tell who it is, 
by this explanation. But the product that he's trying to promote and sell and all this stuff is for golfers and, you know, to get a club pro, a head pro or an assistant to want to sell it to their members, you want them to try it too. And it has to do with playing golf. And he was like telling pros, you know, take this next time you play, blah, 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 blah. And he was like super confident about it. And I don't blame him because how are you supposed to know? But he was like, after I read that article, I didn't realize how much of an asshole I sounded like by telling these people to try it when they play golf. When I, I didn't realize that they don't play golf. Like you hear the word or the title golf professional, you just assume that they play golf. It really is crazy because I would say, you know, the majority of people that are golf pros got into the business because they love golf. And what do you get? You don't get to play golf. So, I mean, and this, there's probably a wide range of people in the business and I'm sure there's plenty of people that get to play a good amount of golf. But I would say the majority of golf pros that I know and that I've, you know, interacted with, whether in person or on social media, definitely don't play as much as they they would like to. So I think one of like the biggest things that this article kind of conveys to people that aren't uh, directly in the business of being a club pro is that it's just super misunderstood. It's misunderstood and honestly just not respected as a profession. Um, And like I just said, the first thing that's just not understood about it is that we don't really play golf. Um, I played in a tournament in May, middle of May, and uh, I played last week. So I've played two full rounds of golf since May 1st, I guess I would say, and it's July 10th. And tomorrow I have to wake up and go play 36 holes in a pro pro stroke play with my dad. Uh, So dad, I apologize in advance if I don't live up to your standards because I have only played two rounds of golf in the last two and a half months. So um, it's okay. We'll have fun. I just want to give one little example of how, you know, it's depressing, honestly, that we don't get to play. um, And it's fine, you know, you suck it up and you live with it, but it's like stupid little interactions like this one that I had, um, that just make you feel bad about it. Like, uh, we had a bunch of guests, uh, at our club around the time of the U S open. A lot of people were in town, came and played. I was helping this guy get his bag on the cart, showed him where the range is. And our GM had introduced me to him saying, this is Maddie. She's one of our assistants, all that fun stuff. And we're talking, and he goes, what's your your low round here? And I said, mm. you know, this is like mid-June around the time of the U.S. Open. I said, I haven't played here, played a full round here, I would say, since last September. Um, and this was before I was even employed there. This is when my dad was, the, or he still is, the teaching pro, and he invited me to come play with one of the members before I even knew I was going to work there. Um, so since being employed at this club, I had not played a full round of 18. That has since changed, which is awesome. I've played one full round. Um, but you know, I would go out, play six holes after, uh, work. I'd go play nine or four, or there was one night I played one hole. And then I was like, I am exhausted. I'm going home. Like, I don't want to play golf right now. Um, but he goes, so I told him, you know, I haven't 
played for around 18 years since last September, so I don't really know. Like, I played once. And he goes, how is that possible? You're a golf pro. And I was like, you know, this is a quick conversation. I'm bringing him to the range and, and never going to see this guy again. I wasn't going to try to explain everything to him. But that's the the perception is that you're a golfer. You should play golf. And then when people ask you all the time, what's your low round? When was the last time you played? All this stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> what's uh, your favorite hole on the course? I'm like, I don't know. I've only played them all twice. I don't have a favorite hole. <laughs> just like little things like that. Um, it just is like a little dig every time you get a question like that. It's like reminds you, you don't get to play golf really ever. I think another big misunderstanding is just how many hours you actually do work. Um, and it's not even about working hours. It's about face showing hours, I would call them. Um, because honestly, the job that we do, give or take, is really not that hard of a job in terms of difficulty. You know, like you run tournaments, you teach, you sell merchandise, you give good customer service to your members. All in all, it's really not that hard of a job, right? But it's the demand of your time that you really don't have to give that makes it way harder. If you broke down every single task that you did and timed it, I feel like it might be a fraction of the amount of time that you're actually at work. But if you leave, it's like my head pro now. He, he works almost every day, which is insane, first of all. Works almost every day. I close on Sundays, and there's always, I'm not exaggerating, 10 members that come in and say, where's the head pro? And I say, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. He's gone for the day. And they go, really? Yeah. He was here at 6 a.m., and it's 4 p.m. on a Sunday, and it's not busy. There's no tournament. There's nothing going on. Why does he need to be here? It's like... If he was there at every single hour that the members expected him to be there, he might as well put a bed in his office and just sleep there. And then, even when he's not there, he's still getting texts and phone calls and emails from people asking him to do things. The article, the Club Pro Crisis article, talks about how technology facilitated the change. You know, it was always a demanding job, but why is everyone so upset about this stuff now. Um, you know, when you're a head pro or any type of pro in the North, uh, you get winners off unless you go South to get another job. Um, but (laughs) this guy who was a head pro up at a Northern club said, uh, he used to be able to decompress in the winter. Now it was rare to go more than an hour without responding by phone or email to a member or one of his bosses. So, yeah, we get winners off, um, but it doesn't mean that people actually get a chance to decompress. And I'm speaking for everybody. Well, I'm trying to speak for everybody. But don't look at me and say, oh, poor me, because I'm an assistant. I'm not a head pro, so I don't have these same issues. I'm lucky enough that I can just, for the most part, disconnect. But (laughs) I'm going to tell a story about a hypothetical head pro named Bob. I don't know. 
Bob. He uh, he gets one day off a week if he's lucky, sometimes zero. And uh, on his one day off, it's the week of Father's Day. It's not Father's Day, though, because he couldn't have a Sunday off. Why would, you know, that would be just ridiculous. Um, you know, a few days before Father's Day, he decides he's going to take his off day and he's going to go to the beach with his family. And he he gets his one day off, but it's never, you know, it's never relaxing, really. Um, he's always worried about what's going on when he's not there. He's getting texts, emails, phone calls, da 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 And he's going to the beach. And he gets a text from someone, a member, at his club. And he decides to open it. Um, you know, he's trying to enjoy his beach day, but he just he's just going to look at it and see what it is. And it's a an image. It's a picture that this member took of a golf cart on one of the holes of his golf course in Fescue. Now, this was before the time of Visage and all that GPS cart tracker stuff. So this wouldn't even really be a problem today because the cart wouldn't let you drive in there. But he, uh, he sees this picture and the text says, you know, Mr. Smith, our fictitious member, Mr. Smith is driving through the Fescue on the seventh hole. And this guy, Bob, the head pro, is like, I'm trying to enjoy my one day off, the few days before Father's Day, on the beach, and I'm getting text messages about people driving through the fescue with a cart. Now, are people supposed to drive through the fescue with a cart? No. But what do you want Bob to do about it from the beach? You've got two maybe three staff members in the pro shop that you could call about this. But no, everything has to go through the head pro. Where's the head pro? Where's the head pro? Where's Bob? What's Bob doing? Oh, he already left? What the hell's wrong with Bob? Why is he not here? It's just like this never-ending, you just get berated. Um, And this is coming from me. I'm not a head pro. I never have been, but I feel like I've witnessed uh, enough people as head pros to see it. The demand is just absolutely insane. It's like inhumane because uh, the members think that they're the only one. Well, if I just ask one dumb question, it'll be okay. But if you get a thousand of those throughout the day, it kind of wears on you. And part of this, just like not even be able to enjoy your day off. um, There's a lot of perks that could come with being a a head pro or even an assistant pro if you're lucky. Um, a lot of time members of the courses that you're working out are relatively wealthy and they have, uh, you know, season tickets to the Patriots or whatever. And one of the guys in the club pro article, uh, says that he had a boss one time who would get free NFL tickets from a member, but he would feel too guilty and too afraid to take his son to the game and miss a Sunday at work because, you know, head pros are supposed to be there every weekend. But this guy, you know, this is a supposed perk of the job, couldn't even use these tickets because he was too afraid and too anxious to not be there on a Sunday. If you take one Sunday all year, it'll probably be okay, right? But the expectation of the head pro and sometimes the assistants to be there just absolutely insane amount of hours and unrealistic amount of days is just, it's totally misunderstood and it's, there's no respect for the golf professional's time or life or family 
or mental health and well-being. I mean, like how I just don't understand. There was another guy um, who worked every single day from, I believe it was April 1st to September 25th. I'm not really good at math, but if you do the quick math on that, I think it's like six months times 30 is 180 days. (laughs) I think I'm not good at math. I don't know. But imagine working 180 days in a row. Like, what other profession is that acceptable? I'm sure there's some. I'm sure there's some. Don't come for me. It's not like a boohoo golfer thing, but this is a golf podcast. And you know what? That guy ended up getting divorced. Because how do you expect to have a wife or a husband and a couple of kids and work 180 days in a row and expect your marriage to last or to have a good relationship with your kids. It's just, it's so, it's just misunderstood and totally not respected. I'm going to say it a million times probably. So the article talks about how technology has facilitated this change of, you know, being at the beck and call of your bosses and your members 24 7, 365 days a year. And not only has it come from like phones and emails, text messages, whatever, I think it also, the technology of TrackMan and simulators and all that stuff has changed it too. Because, you know, when you would close up shop around Christmas and lock the doors, you would expect to not come back until April. That was the expectation as a golf pro in New England for a really long time, and it still is for some. But now, with the development of these simulators, which are awesome for teaching and learning and all that stuff, um, people expect to, in the Northeast at least, be able to play golf year-round, even when the golf course is closed. So now, country clubs are being forced to, or convinced, I should say, that opening a simulator is a good idea, whether it's one or two or three or four bays. Oh yeah, open a simulator, bring in more revenue, it'll keep the members happy year-round, you know, it'll let you employ golf pros year-round, which is, uh, you know, should be a good thing financially, but mentally, you should be able to lock the doors on Christmas Eve and not see anyone until April. But when you have to lock the door on Christmas Eve night and then come back the day after Christmas to turn on the trackman and serve beers to your members, it totally changes the game. This is talked about in the Club Pro article, um, and it's just, it's all about time. He says there was one complaint that they all, a bunch of uh, club pros shared, and the complaint was time. The message they needed me to understand was simple. There are many elements of this job that are great, I agree, and there are many others that are tolerable, but the lack of work-life balance is ruining our lives. I believe, you know, what do I know? I don't know anything, apparently. I'm just a little girl with a podcast, (laughs) but I think... Simulators should be freestanding businesses, not a part of country clubs. It is just such a bad idea. It really is. And I don't care how much money you're getting paid 
I mean, maybe if it's a million dollars a year, I'd do it. But like, I don't care how much you are paying me. I do not want to go through an entire golf season, full blown golf season, and then come back the day after Christmas and open the doors to the simulators and serve beers for the next three months. It's just like non-stop. Simulators, I think, are a great thing. There's plenty of them near me. I use them. Um, I send people to them, but they are freestanding simulators where they have a bar, they have a kitchen, they have whatever. They're connected to a restaurant of some sort, and it's great. I think it's awesome, and it creates jobs for pros that you know might need a winner job, but it shouldn't be a part of a country club. It should be a freestanding business that charges an hourly rate to people that don't have memberships. Because when you open a simulator at a country club, um, you are saying that you care more about money and bringing in revenue for the club than you do about your employees. It's just, it's really, there's not a lot of scenarios, in my head at least, I'm probably wrong, but there's not a lot of scenarios that opening a simulator at a country club is a good idea. Another thing that I want to touch on in this article is um, just another misunderstanding, um, and this one's kind of more disheartening to me, at least, because it comes from other people that are in the industry. I understand if it's misunderstood by people that aren't in the industry. I get it. But other pros, I just don't understand. So I'm just going to read this to you. This is a paragraph. Um, his general manager once asked a seasonal assistant a loaded question. What's with your generation and their work ethic? The assistant who was already putting in 50 hours a week had an answer. Her generation put a high priority on mental health, and while career mattered, they wanted a life outside of work. And if they didn't rise as high, so be it. They'd enjoy life a lot more. What is wrong with this? Like, please, if you agree... With this GM that asked this question, call me and we can have a conversation. I don't understand what is wrong with people wanting to enjoy their life. What is wrong with wanting to have a normal work schedule? What is wrong with wanting to be able to go to the beach on a Saturday? What's wrong with wanting to be able to, you know, go out on a Friday night with all your friends instead of sitting in the shop waiting for the last car to come in? I don't understand. It's not about work ethic. It's about work-life balance. This same guy who, uh, this was his general manager, says that he worked 85 hours per week in the summer and up to 50 hours in the winter and was only told that he wasn't at the club enough. Um, You know, he had grown up with a different mindset. His path was to grind through his 20s and 30s, working as hard as necessary to reach the top. I can respect the grind. It's all right. He said once there, he thought he'd be able to breathe. He couldn't breathe, and the day came when being at the top was no longer enough. His wife began to notice his unhappiness. The pandemic ran him ragged, blah, 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 blah. Now he runs his own business and feels like he has an entirely new life. There is 85 hours a week. It's golf. We're not doing heart surgery, people. We're not doing brain surgery. We're not sending rockets to the moon. It's golf. Why is it necessary to work 85 hours a week during the summer and 50 during the winter? The golf course isn't even open. 
I like just, I really don't get it. And on top of that, this poor guy had people, probably his GM and a bunch of members telling him he wasn't there enough. How does that make any sense? Do you want him to live there and not sleep and just be up 24-7 at your beck and call? I, I just, what is the expectation? It's so unrealistic. Now, a lot of people want to put blame on the PGA of America. And am I a huge fan of the PGA? No. Um, and I'm going to get into this in a second with this lovely comment made by our friend Susie Whaley that I just really enjoyed. Um, but I think this issue, or at least part of it, needs to be solved at the club level. Um, the expectations of hours worked needs to be lower for head pros and directors of golf and even for assistants. Um, but I think it starts at the head pro and I just don't understand. I feel like this is a pretty logical thing. I don't understand why clubs and, uh, boards and golf committees and all of the important people at country clubs haven't put together that, um, their golf pros are working 85 hours a week. Um, they don't have time to relax. They don't have time to go to the gym. They don't have time to play golf. They don't have time to spend with their wife or husband or kids or their dog or, you know, just go on a walk or run. All of the things that normal people do to decompress. And a lot of them turn to, um, you know, alcohol, substances, um, because when you get home from a long day, 12-hour, 14-hour day, do you want to go on a run? No, you don't. But maybe if you worked a more normal schedule, you'd turn to running or cycling or going to the gym or meditating instead of drugs and alcohol. Um, and if maybe you worked 55 hours instead of 85 hours and you had time to do all these things for yourself and your family and your friends, um, you would actually be a better golf professional. I don't know why clubs haven't realized this. Give them time to do things for themselves and they will come back to work a better person. I really don't think the jump between 55 hours to 85 hours has any increase in productivity. I could be wrong. I haven't done a study on it, you know, but I'm just hypothesizing. Um, there is no way that there is that much more work being done between 55 and 85 hours. And I'm just using these numbers because they were in the article, but I can't imagine. It's just, it's hours. Like I said, um, it's showing face hours. It's not working or productivity hours, which is really unfortunate <laughs> because if head pros were expected to be there a little bit less, um, I really do think they would be better golf professionals overall. So back to what I was saying about the PGA of America. I am a member of the PGA. I hope they don't kill me or take away my membership. Um, but I'll just read you what was written in the article and then I'll tell you what I think. He says, on one hand, it was abundantly clear in conversations with the PGA leaders that they recognize the problem, understand the threat it poses to recreational golf, and are taking serious steps to address it on both an individual and industry-wide level. Um, one of the things he talks about <laughs> that they're doing, you know, they're taking it very seriously. Uh, Susie Whaley, 
had told him and Jim Murchison, the president and the past president had told him they, um, they emphasized the steps the organization is taking to an increased membership. They began a drive for recruitment. They're recruiting at the college level, club teams, high school, PGA hope programs for veterans, new partnerships. Now they employ four full-time recruiters. How is this helping? Am I missing something? I really, I don't know. (laughs) This is where the birdie bitch comes into play because I feel like I'm getting a little too unhinged. But I really don't understand how this is helping. And he says this too. The author says this. These efforts are robust, he says, but as the numbers show, they haven't stemmed the overall decline. Even if they did, recruitment is a temporary solution. If the job itself is still considered undesirable from a quality of life standpoint, adding more people only plugs a hole in a leaky ship. And he's 100% right, because how does recruiting more golf pros do anything for us? If the golf pros that you have currently in your, as members of your association or even not members... If you're not doing anything to help the current ones, why are you going to bring more in? Um, I, there, was a, there was a quote, I'm trying to find it, that uh, this guy was at a meeting and um, some person in the meeting, director of golf, paused the conversation and asked for a show of hands. Who would encourage their own kids to get into the business? Not a single hand rose. No one would even suggest to their children to get into the business, which sidebar for a funny story. Uh, so I was a WeMet scholar. For those who don't know, Francis WeMet Scholarship Fund gives uh, scholarships to kids who work in golf, the golf shop, the back room, caddy, um, grounds, all of the above in, I think it's just Massachusetts. Anyways, you get interviewed when you're like 18 going into college. And my interview was I think with like 10 or 12 adults, which is really horrifying when you're 18. And at the time, I had this bright dream to go to law school, um, which is hilarious because I don't like to read or write. But I'm sitting in this boardroom with like 10 to 12 adults in, in blazers, and they're all asking me questions. Where are you going to school? What do you want to study? Da, 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 da. And this was at a local golf club. Um, everyone pretty much knew who my dad was and they said, uh, would you ever see yourself getting into the golf business? And immediately I said, no. And if you haven't been able to tell already, if you don't know me, the reason my podcast is one of the reasons my podcast is called birdie bitches because I really have no filter. Um, so he asked, would you ever get into the golf business? I immediately said, no didn't give an explanation. 18-year-old Maddie was really something else. And he goes, well, why? And at the time, my dad was still the head pro at a course near us. And I said, well, I don't know. My dad, dad doesn't really seem to enjoy his job. <laughs> and as my dad's daughter, obviously I knew he enjoyed parts of his job, but I also saw him when he was very stressed and clearly not enjoying the job. Um, And they all kind of were, like, taken aback because, you know, they probably thought, oh, she'll want to follow in her father's footsteps. She plays golf. Maybe she'll want to work in golf. And I was like, nope. (laughs) All set on that one. Thanks. Looks miserable. And it's funny because here I am. But 
yeah, I mean, there's so many people that wouldn't even tell their child to get into the business right now. Um, so I don't know what, why we're trying to recruit more golf pros. Like you need to fix the issue. Sorry for my tangent, but the PGA needs to help fix the issue. Is it the PGA's sole responsibility to fix the issue? No, I don't think so. But they need to help. And recruiting more golf pros isn't really doing anything other than making more miserable people. It's more people to commiserate with, I guess. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about the PGA of America um, comes from a lovely quote from our friend Susie Whaley. This is from the article. It says, Susie Whaley, who works now as the Director of Instruction for the Country Club at Marisol in Florida, after serving as the PGA of America's first female president, said, Young people are hoppers, right? They want a five-day work week. They want to go on vacation with their family. They want weekends off. And she says, certainly if you get into our business, that's not the case. So you have a standard of what a traditional golf professional is used to in terms of working hours versus a younger generation that just says no. So, Susie. (laughs) Susie, Susie. Maybe I'll have her on the podcast. That would be fun. Um, I understand that the older generation, the traditional golf professional, had the expectation that they were going to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. That's fine. But, you know, I'm clearly a part of the younger generation. I'm 24, almost 25. I'm not doing that. I would never take a job that would require me to work that many hours. I want to enjoy my life. I have one life, and I want to be able to go on vacation with my family. I want to be able to go out with my friends. I, you know, I want to be able to have a weekend off here and there. I don't need every weekend off. Just, you know, once in a while would be nice. Um, Another head pro at the Minneapolis Golf Club in the article says he understands and even envies their perspective, even as someone who never expected anything but long hours in his own job. He says... Those days are gone for a lot of these younger pros. They want to live life too, and you can't really blame them. Maybe people are smarter now. Now, this guy, Simpson, at Minneapolis Golf Club, I want to be friends with him. (laughs) Because at least he can respect the desire to want to live life, you know, outside of work. I understand working. I get it. I'm not one of those people that doesn't want to work. I enjoy working. It gives me something to work towards and I enjoy, you know, making money for myself and being an adult, but I'm also not going to work 80, 90 hours a week. Um, you know, in, I love golf and I'm really passionate about golf and growing the game and teaching, especially women and girls. It's awesome. But if it ever comes to a point where I have to work that amount of hours, I will literally go get a sales job. And I know plenty of golf pros who are looking for sales jobs or tech jobs or marketing jobs because they can work nine to five or eight to five Monday through Friday, make a decent wage and have their lives back. Now, I had just said, um, Susie, our lovely friend Susie says the younger people are just saying no. Um, later on the article, Uh, He talks about Kelly Williams, a 42-year-old club manager and former head pro at Greenbrier Golf and Country Club in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, Williams sees now as something 
uh, novel for golf professionals, which is leverage. The declining labor pool and the scores of open positions don't just create opportunities on the individual level. They give pros and assistant pros a chance to redefine the job entirely. While the author says he spoke to another pro um, that made the same point more bluntly. Now, this is a guy that we need to get on Birdie Bitch. Don't know who it is because he wasn't named. Uh, But this guy says, if pros don't stand up right now and say, no, we're not doing that, they never will. There has never been a stronger job market. If you're a good golf professional who knows how to market yourself a little bit, there is no reason for you to stand back and take that crap anymore. Like I said, sounds like he needs to come on birdie bitch, but he's right. Um, And this was a really, it just was a sentiment that was echoed throughout the survey that I took that I'm going to share in the next second part of this, this podcast. Um, People really just need to say no more. Um, And a ton of people said that in the survey. I hear it all the time. Um, It's easy to say yes, as my dad says. It's easy to say yes, but sometimes it's better for you and your staff and your members to say no. Um, And I think people need to learn or be taught how to say no more often. Now, I've rambled long enough, but I just want to make like one or two quick Last points. Um, The article talks about Steve Scott. He was uh, a head pro at Paramount Golf Club in New York until 2017. It says Scott had what many would consider an ideal situation. He was paid well and had a 5,000 square foot house on the course. Still, it wasn't uncommon for him to work 80 hours a week in the busy season. And the service aspect of the job appealing to members and inevitably disappointing and being attacked by some of them began to take his toll. He found that his patience was being tried daily, and while he's a relentlessly positive person, he could feel the burnout coming. Nor did his own skill make his job any easier. The ability to play well really doesn't matter much anymore, he said laughing. It matters in some of the clubs that are more traditional, but most other places you might as well just be a shop clerk at Macy's. Um, I think this sums up the job pretty well. He has a 5,000 square foot house on a golf course and he works at a golf course and people probably look at him like, wow, his job is so cool. Um, yeah, well, he's working 80 hours a week and getting screamed at by members. Wouldn't call that cool. On the flip side, there's another head pro, um, that the article talked about. Um, he finally decided to make a career change and, He left after nine years of being bombarded and hounded. Um, Today, he runs the Silver Club Golfing Society, which stages tournaments nationwide for amateur golfers. He was able to work from home, and like many of the pros that he spoke with, he can vividly remember the moment he knew he'd made the right choice. It was a Memorial Day weekend, and he spent the holiday at the pool with his wife and two kids. That would be an ordinary event for many families, but for Scott, it was almost inexplicably special. He hadn't been able to do something like that for years. Now, I feel like a lot of the people that are listening to this are probably golf pros or in the golf industry some way. But if you're not a golf pro, just think, you know, Memorial Day was, what, a month and a half ago now? If you're listening to this on time, um, think about what you did on Memorial Day. Probably were somebody's pool, having a cookout, maybe on the beach with your friends and family. 
Um, I personally was sitting on the same couch that I am now coughing up a lung because I had COVID. But if I hadn't had COVID, I would have been at work. Um, so, you know, was it really the end of the world that a lot of golf pros missed out on Memorial Day? You know, drinks, cookouts, beach, pool, whatever you do on Memorial Day. No, but it's over many years missing every Memorial Day, every 4th of July, every Labor Day, every cookout, every birthday party during the summer, every holiday. It wears on you. And the fact that this guy, Scott, finally got to just go sit at the pool with his his wife and kids on Memorial Day was like, that was the moment that he knew he made the right decision to get out. And he's still in the golf business. Um, He's not a head pro anymore, but he still gets to work in golf in some shape or form, but he gets his life back. Um, And it's really heartbreaking to me and to a lot of other people that people feel like they need to get out of being a club pro to get these moments in their lives back. But honestly, I don't see it changing anytime soon. And In the second part of this, we'll get into how a lot of professionals feel right now about how you could change it, how it could be better, and what the overall consensus is on, you know, how happy people are, how happy they are with their work-life balance or their compensation and what they think we can do. Um, And as of this moment right now, I've read all of them and I have my own thoughts, obviously, but I, I don't think the mass exodus of golf professionals is going to stop anytime soon because it just doesn't seem realistic to me for people. Um, a lot of people are at their breaking point right now, and I don't know what would stop them from leaving. It would have to be a major, major change. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to end this here. Um, and next week, be sure to come back to hear about the results of this survey that I took. It got a lot bigger response than I thought it would. And you have to listen and hear some of the responses from these golf pros. I took the survey anonymously because I wanted everyone to be able to speak their minds freely and they definitely did. So if you made it this far, thank you for listening to me ramble and be a birdie bitch. Um, <laughs> make sure to check in next week for the next part of this little mini club pro crisis series where I will talk about all of the results of the survey and share all those stats with you. So thanks guys. Talk to you later.